Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. Hello again, Story Shapers. We're back again to brighten up your Thursday with another brilliant episode of Story Shaped Podcast. And this week, we're absolutely delighted to welcome the wonderful Sharon Gosling to the podcast. Sharon is an extremely versatile author who has written for adults, for teens and YA, and also for children. And she has also had a fascinating career as an entertainment journalist. She has written magazine articles and books about science fiction shows, a novelization of a CBBC show, uh, tie-in books for movies like Tomb Raider and Wonder Woman, as well as scripts for a number of audio dramas. In YA, Sharon's books have tended towards the spooky. She's written for Red Eye, a horror imprint at Stripe's Little Tiger Books, making her debut with the spine-tingling fur in 2017. Her children's books include The Diamond Thief, winner of the Redbridge Children's Book Award 2014, and its sequels The Ruby Airship and The Sapphire Cutlass. She's also written The Golden Butterfly, House of Hidden Wonders, and my personal favourite children's book of 2022, the incredibly accomplished novel, The Extraordinary Voyage of Katie Willicott. Her adult books have included The House Beneath the Cliffs and The Lighthouse Bookshop. She lives in Cumbria with her husband, surrounded by books and beautiful scenery, and we're so pleased she's made time today to come and speak to us on Story Shaped. So welcome, Sharon. It's great to have you. Hello, Sinead and Susan. That was a lovely introduction. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. (laughs) It's a pleasure to research such a such a wonderfully accomplished author as yourself. (laughs) Um, We were just speaking before we came on air, before we started recording about your fantastically varied career, Sharon, and and, uh, how many different things you've done. Um, uh, I just I can't get over how, how how. how you've kind of switched or swapped between, you know, all the all the different things, all the, all the different hats you wear as an as an author. Um, I don't think I've ever spoken to an author who's written for, um, you know, written I suppose nonfiction. And it might be it's not really nonfiction as a um, you really know, written kind of tie-in or accompaniment books for for TV shows and, and and movies. Can you talk a bit about how that how you get onto that work or, or how that work is when you're when you're doing it? Um. Well. Um. Yeah, I, um, as we were saying, I absolutely love doing it. I've always loved film, I've always loved TV. I didn't have a TV when I was a kid. Um, and subsequently, when we got finally got on when I was a teenager, I was just obsessed, mainly with uh, mainly with sci-fi stuff. Massive gig. Um, and, that, <laughs> and I always knew I always knew that I wanted to write fiction, but getting into fiction was not terribly easy, especially, you know, from... Um, my kind of background didn't come from a massively affluent background. Um, and I, I knew I was going to have to support myself. So I, one day I went to the library and I literally found a book that was how to, was it how to make money from writing? I was like, all right, I'll look at that. Uh, and I, and that suggested starting off as a freelance journalist, literally. And that's what, so I was still at school when I did that. And I started selling stories to my local magazines when I was 16. And I started uh, writing book reviews actually that was what I first did for national magazines a national magazine called uh, Dreamwatch which no longer exists and SFX and then I did that all the way through university uh, and I then I got a staff writing job at Dreamwatch before it was completely defunct um, and so that kind of 
it's often it's often said that the that journalism is the graveyard of novelists because you, <laughs> you know you kind of get it's quite hard to cross back from journalism into into fiction um but that was always my goal I always wanted to write fiction but I had a wonderful time writing about my favorite tv shows and um on the way there uh and then and then um yeah and then it kind of segued into I thought okay I really do actually have to try and write some write some fiction if that's actually what I'm going to do so um I started uh started writing the children's fiction then so that was how I ended up doing uh, that I should explain uh, the, the the magazine company that bought Dreamwatch was Titan. Uh, so Titan had a magazines department. They still do, but they also had a books department. Yeah, a very well known one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one yeah. that was that was how I ended up writing books for Titan because I was writing the magazines and my editor said, "Why don't you pitch some books for Titan? You know, they're downstairs. You know, you know these guys. Why don't you pitch some books?" So um, I was very lucky in that respect. I, I was kind of already in that in that arena. Uh, although I wrote my first my first nonfiction book before I was working full-time for Titan um which was a script book for Stargate um because I loved the show and I was fascinated by how scripts work and, and the guys were the production there was really um open to to working with me because I've done some I've done some other stuff for them articles about them anyway this is a very long-winded answer to your question I'm sorry no it's fine um, it's brilliant it's also so fascinating it's very, <laughs> yeah it's a really convoluted my kind of writing history is really convoluted and that's why it's so all over the place because um I never really had a clear uh um path for where I wanted to get to I just knew I wanted to write fiction and I knew I had to support myself while I was doing it and the way I did that was by writing because that's really the only thing I can do <laughs> um <laughs> and I've, I've been extremely lucky that really that's the only thing since I was well since I left school that's really the only thing I've done um in one way or another so you know I've had a very very lucky career really and that's amazing it's so interesting that you didn't mm. have a TV when you were growing up. Um, mm. So that's not like until you were a teenager, that's not where you were getting your stories, because we've talked to lots of writers who you know, they're as shaped by, and I think both myself and Sinead are as well, like as shaped by the TV programs that we watched as children as we were by the books that we read. So if we take you way back. Um, what were the first stories that you remember having a big impact on you, a big impact on your imagination? Well, I read a lot. I learned to read quite early on. Um, I think I was quite young, and we were really lucky that we had three. We didn't have a lot of money, so we didn't couldn't buy books really. But we had three libraries within walking distance, so I can remember Mum taking me there like every day after school, and I just read through everything. And things tend to blend together quite a lot from that age. I don't have a great memory. Um, I can remember loving. Um, the Alice Nutley books, um, Little Grey Rabbit, all of those. Um, and um, but I very quickly moved on to adventure stories. I it was really interesting at researching for this podcast, kind of trying to remember all the books that I can re that really stuck in my head from when I was a kid. Um, and particularly, you know, it's about the stories that shape us. I realized there's a there's a real a real thread of um travel in my books oh. and adventure um uh, and I remember I can remember um we did have a lot of books at home and my mum had bought my dad an atlas for their first wedding anniversary and I can remember sitting with that and just looking at all of the places that I would love to go and all of the places that I would love to see so that was probably one of the first influential books was was the atlas um I love that and then 
and that and that definitely played into early stories about travel and um going places and also <laughs> running away I was obsessed with running away when I was a kid not because I had an unhappy home life and wonderful parents um but because I just wanted to get out there and see everything I mean but how and, else do you have adventures if you don't yeah. especially as a child <laughs> if you don't run away yeah. Like unless you're lucky enough to have parents that like travel around, it's like the only way you can have adventures <laughs> is running. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't um we did we didn't have money to go on holiday. The first time I flew was when I was I was 18. So um so I hadn't been very many places, but I wanted to go everywhere. Uh, and so looking at looking at my stories, the stories that I loved, they were definitely all about going places and seeing places and adventure and doing things um so I, I can't really remember the really really early books I can't I mean Megan Mog all of those kind of picture books all of those stories and the classic ones that, that everyone remembers absolutely remember having those but in terms of, of books where I really started asserting what I wanted to get out of life through what I was reading you know you know investing time in what I wanted to discover through books it was definitely um that kind of book and I I remember having being obsessed by the um any book that told you how to survive in the wild and they were mainly boys books you get like annuals of boys best adventures or or how to build a camp or whatever um and I had I had lots of those and I used to carry around out they would always tell you that I guess it would be Bear Grylls books now that kind of thing but for for kids in the 70s 80s I was born in 1979 I, yeah, I carried around this little survival kit, which was you're supposed to have a tin, but I didn't have a tin. So I think I had, had like a bag, and it had you, you had to have a have like a magnet and a and a needle and a plastic bag for catching water and for holding fish that you caught with your needle that you magnetise and <laughs> all of this stuff. And I and I used to carry that around just in case I could run away into Ashdown Forest or something and build a camp out of leaves. Um, <laughs> but that led on to me looking for books books that fulfilled that kind of um that kind of adventurous spirit um and I loved uh when I, I guess I guess some of the youngest books I had were, were Enid Blyton books um and the circus of adventure books that, which were about a boy running away to join the circus you know he left his boring life at home and he yeah. joined a circus and what do you know one of you know the first kids book I write is about a circus performer you know in kind of steampunky Victoriana so there's a, clearly a direct correlation and it's in your adult yeah. books too because the lighthouse bookshop I mean that's you've got kind of three characters there who are running away from their lives that's true <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of movement in my stories of just being and house beneath the cliffs as well is is someone moving you know changing a life and moving to somewhere else it's after there's definitely somewhere something in me that just wants to take off <laughs> and uh disappear <laughs> uh which is probably how I ended up living where I am now which is kind of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, the Willard Price books, uh, which now, I think they are publishing new new versions of them now, but but from the 50s, which were kind of um, Amazon Adventure and African Adventure about these two boys who went off kind of collecting animals and seeing the world, and I absolutely wanted to do that. <laughs> this, uh, sorry, this is just really reminding me of my, my sister Roisin, shout out to Roisin, because Roisin watches, it's more with movies, but she watches movies 
so that she will know what to do in that kind of situation. So <laughs> what her favorite movie when we were teenagers, that movie Alive about the rugby team that crashed in the Andes, in, the Andes. in case yeah. that ever happened to her. Or she watched that movie where, um, is it James Franco who cho- chews off his arm? 127 hours. And I was like, why did you watch that? And she was just like, well, just in case I'm ever in that situation and I need to know how to what, well, does she, how to does she rock Does she rock no. climb in the middle of the desert? No, no. Okay, right. Sorry, Sharon. That's I just, brilliant. I, I needed that. to, that I needed to shout out to Roshin there. That's great. Love it. Yeah, yeah and yeah, so uh, there's definitely a, it was really interesting. It's been really interesting looking through the, the books. I, um, I guess earlier than that would be Nigel Hinton who wrote the Beaver Towers books. I don't know if you know. I don't know those. Do don't you know. know. And they're about a little boy who um, gets caught up in a kite and and carried off to this island, which is just full of talking animals and and um, kind of befriends them. But again, it's it's a guy being swept away to somewhere he doesn't know, and that was particularly influential for me because um, Hinton actually lived in my hometown. I, I grew up in Tubridge Wells, and he lived there. I don't know if he still does. Um, and he came to my school oh, and when cool. I was in primary school and I and I remember and I'd read the book so I think that was possibly the first time I realized that being an author was actually something you could do you know um as a job and I think that's pretty rare for people our age group as well especially like thinking about the conversations yeah. that we've had with authors it's very few people who've had that direct connection with a real life living author yeah yeah, so we didn't have we didn't have that in Ireland in the eighties. So it didn't, yeah. didn't it wasn't wasn't a thing. <laughs> what did that experience feel like? It must have been brilliant. That's probably why you were you, why you yeah. became an author or why you started writing so, at such a young age. You believed you could so do it. Possibly, yeah. I, yeah, I was yeah. Known, I was already known for writing stories at that point, um, and I think I was probably I was probably that insufferable child at the front of the class who was just desperate to get on the author's lap or something because I was so so excited about <laughs> about meeting him. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was massively influential. It, it was fantastic to hear, you know, the person that had written the book reading bits of the book that I knew, you know, and he'd written it. And how amazing was that? And I remember, I remember him talking actually about writing and how sometimes he would be writing. And I remember this really clearly. I haven't thought about this for years. Um, sometimes he'd be writing and he would say you know a character walks up the stairs and suddenly there was another character at the top that he hadn't planned to be there but they were there so they were the story and now as an author I totally understand that that kind of the naturalistic style of writing where you're just you know in your own head writing and then suddenly something happens you're like well where do you come from Jay and Jay and um in uh the Remy stories was absolutely like that I hadn't intended to give her a sidekick um, and yet suddenly there was this little boy that turned up that, with this really clear voice that came out of nowhere that I hadn't expected. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that must have been hugely influential on me. I should write to him, actually. He's still, I think he's still writing kids books for Barrington Stoke, I think, possibly. Amazing. So I, should, uh, I should write to him and say, you let him know how influential he was on you. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially as a fellow Tunbridge Wellesian. Yeah, yes. I don't know his books at all. <laughs> How many more? Would he have loads of books, or has he a big? Record I think he's, I think the Beaver Tower books might have only been his. That was his only kids series, and there was only three, I think, in the series. And then possibly there's a couple of standalones that he did, which I don't yeah. think I've read. Uh, but then he wrote adult books as well. And again, I haven't read them for. We're talking forty years, maybe you know, thirty-five years. So um, 
but I still have a clear clear memory of the kind of sensation of being swept away by a kite and how exciting and terrifying that would be and then seeing this and that the island was shaped in the in it was like two islands shaped like the word no which becomes significant later on in the story that's about all I can remember but I remember being you know loving them when I was a kid I should get hold of them again and reread them. Thanks. That, that the one you were talking about sounds amazing, and I love that you have such a visceral, strong memory mm. of, of reading them and how important they were to you. That's that's what we're all about here, really, on the podcast, and you know, helping. I, I just love I love talking to people about, especially as you said, you hadn't thought about something for so many years. You know, you, you had you had kind of forgotten what the man had said when he came to the school visit. Um, it just it's, I love being with people and 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 watching people as they go through that. Going, oh my god, yeah, this is why this means so much yeah. to me. It's it's a real privilege to be to do that on the podcast. So uh, thanks for sharing that with us. That was amazing. No, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> think about it. Yeah. I had that with um, I had that with another book that I that I actually as a result of re- again researching for this podcast. And I couldn't remember what it was called. I, I, I thought it was called When Marnie Was There. And there is a book called When Marnie Was There. But when I looked it up, I thought, no, that's not the book that I'm thinking of. All I could remember about it was that it had a girl called Rowan in it who ran away again. Uh, and and she lived in like a strange makeshift place. And I couldn't, I couldn't remember anything else about it. So I literally put into Google, into Google um, Rowan, uh, book about 80s book about girl who ran away and it was called the girl who ran away and it was by the same, it was by the same author um oh. his name has now gone out of my head it's joan J- joan robinson is it joan robinson yeah yeah joan robinson uh, yeah i read when marnie was there but i i don't know the um the girl who ran away yeah it's about this about this girl who who runs away and she, she calls herself rowan and she lives in kind of strange places which again I'm quite obsessed with I, I um when we were looking we were looking to move up up here my husband just was always laughing because we drive past these derelict barns that were kind of tiny little scrambled places oh, we live on that we live in that I remember thinking about this as well it's quite strange to me because a lot of stories I've realized were just that I thought were books are just stories that I made up for myself when I was a kid but I've kind of scrambled them up in my head and I think they're something that I've read. I had this whole thing about running away and living in a pillbox. I don't know if pillboxes are things that you have over, no, over there. No, what's a pillbox? Okay, so down south, you do get some up here, but mainly down south, they, they're small, defensive, um, usually hexagonal buildings, brick buildings that were built in the World War II. Um, they've just got tiny slits um, as lookout posts, basically. And they're all over the southeast. And my parents, my grandparents lived in Tunbridge and there was one behind their house on the on the River Medway. And I can remember my granddad telling me about it and, and you know, walking me to it. And I had this whole story about a girl who ran away and lived in a pillbox and how she would make that work and who she met along the way. And I, I kind of thought that was a story that I'd read, but I realised that now that was just, <laughs> must have just been a story that I told myself as a kid. <laughs> You should write it. Yeah. It sounds brilliant. (laughs) I would totally read that. Yeah. So, so, but it becomes that, that thing. I think maybe this must be very common for all authors. I think one of the things that you've read and things that you imagine, they feed each other. So, so you're, um, you know, the, the, your interests fuel what books you read, but then the books that you read also, prompt more interested in, in other avenues and take you down which is the wonderful thing about reading of course they, you know they, they um they take you to other places when you can't go anywhere you're you know physically mm, yeah. and um, influence the types of buildings that you want to live in absolutely 
would, I would happily live in a Romany caravan if I could, uh, very much like. <laughs> when I was small, um, to get myself to sleep, I would imagine that I was in the little house in the prairie books and I was in <laughs> one of the wagons traveling across the country because I found something really comforting about sleeping in a moving vehicle. <laughs> Like being, yeah. being rocked back and yeah. forth or something like that. I guess, over that, the, I guess over that's the, probably over the prairie. Yeah. 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 I still fall asleep every time I'm on a, even a medium term journey in the car. I'll just fall asleep. I don't drive. I hate to add, it's not like I'm a wheel. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder, is that connected to like, the fact that the children's books you gravitated towards were um, books about journeys? And so there's something very comforting mm, in journeys yeah. for you. So yeah. when you're on a journey, you're just immediately comforted and sent to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a good thing you don't try then. I love those caravans myself. Um, I used to I used to be fascinated with them. I've never seen one in real life or, or whatever, but I used to love looking at pictures of them and imagining what it would be like inside. Hence, they turned up in my book, Skyborne, as well. Mm. So, yes. uh, yeah, and I love yeah. I love them. They're just beautiful. They are beautiful. We get we get we get them uh, around here uh, for Appleby Horse Fair, which is the biggest gathering of oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah, many people. So we get a lot of them come over, and yeah, they're extraordinary. Come over Austin and down, it's fantastic. Yeah, Nate, have you read that book or seen the movie The Flight of the Doves? No, the doves. no, I don't think so. Who's that oh, by? It's by Walter Macken. Walter so, Macken, okay. actually, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I have. I'm giving you both. okay thanks teacher yeah Yeah. light of the doves it's like it's such a gorgeous novel it's like what two children and Sharon you would love it it's like two children who run away from their nasty uncle in England and they run away to find their grandmother in Ireland and then there's a movie in the 80s with Dana isn't it and there's Romany Romany Caravans Dana Dana yeah Eurovision Dana yeah Eurovision Dana amazing um, it's it's, okay and it's got um, an amazing St. Patrick's Day scene um, through Dublin with the song you don't have to be Irish to be Irish but you laugh a little more and you'll cry a little more. <laughs> it's really Brilliant. Um, I'm going to have to look that up now. Yeah. My birthday is St. Patrick's Day, so. Oh. And just thinking about other books that that were really um, influential. And I, I love, I read a lot of crime books now as well. I, well, I always did because my dad was a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. And although we didn't have a TV, we, we listened to the radio a lot. So audio drama has always been really, really important to me. Um, and so the Sherlock Holmes stories were always hugely important <clears throat> we always had those in house but as a result I read kind of children's crime and I remember an American friend brought me a set of Trixie Belden books which I don't know if you've come across no so they were um they were kind of I guess now they would be called YA she was slightly older she was maybe 14 15 so an American teenager um who sold crimes and she you know had this kind of group of friends so it, it was kind of famous five-ish but not so formulaic and for me far more interesting because it was set in America and I had you know it's like amazing it's completely kind of different feeling and and they I think they started off in the 50s and they were originally written by Julie Campbell Tatham but then then they were taken in-house so they were probably quite early work for higher children's books which is really interesting to think about and they were all done under a suit one single pseudonym but they were different authors and I loved those um, and they were they were they were quite interesting. But I and I haven't I don't think I've ever seen them over here on on a 
bookstore shelves. So I don't know how easy they are to get now. Um, and as with all of these books, they're probably dated quite badly thinking about it. Um, but uh, yeah, that was another another really interesting. Uh, I love those books and the Hardy Boys as well. I love the Hardy Boys. Again, adventure and boyishness rather than uh, what us girls were supposed to be reading at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that any girls, no, no women that I know, read the books that they were supposed to read when they did. Did anyone? I mean, I read. I guess I, I did love that. I loved some of the other Enid Blyton stuff, the, the Mallory Towers books. Again, the idea of being away, you know, being at boarding school, having adventures, sneaking around where you're not supposed to. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Do you know, it, I remember it, I read what Katie did. I don't know if that's yeah, it. Oh, yes, that's they were great. A, a girl, a girl uh, required text or whatever, but I, I enjoyed them. Yeah, no, I did. I loved those books. Um, and Little Women. Yeah. Did like Little Women. Um, Hated Good Wives because who the hell wanted to read a book called Good Wives? I don't remember Good Wives. I didn't even read that one. The, the, the title was enough to put me off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. But I uh, actually, what I remember about the copy of Little Women that I had with the fantastic coloured plates, they were kind of hand coloured plates. Um, so the illustrations probably attracted me more than anything else for those. Um, but I do, I do remember liking those when I was a kid. Oh yeah, and, and I'd forgotten about the Colin Dan books as well. The, the Animals of Farthing Wood books. I loved oh, those. Those books. I can't. Re yeah. I can't really remember too much about them, except there was a journey. There was a journey. Yeah. <laughs> and it was I a perilous journey. A perilous journey. I remember. Yeah. I just remember thinking, um, coming out of it, feeling terrible for the animals. You know, and the, and the loss. It was a very early ecological book, I guess, talking mm. about the loss of habitat and how that yeah. affects animals. And it was a really good way of, of encouraging children to think about their actions and what their actions, you know, what impact their actions have on the world, I think, which was great, while also being a great adventure and talking animals. I mean, who doesn't want that? Oh, I um, can't I can't understand it, anyone who doesn't like talking animals. <laughs> no, especially when it's not talk, talking animals interacting with humans. It's like their own world that you have to, you're, I think that's pro possibly why I love them, actually, the way, the way, uh, Dan Raitham was you know this whole world that is just there but you're not part of it but he's giving you a glimpse into it and I I love that kind of I loved that kind of uh, fiction I think when I was a kid uh, the idea of of just having a tiny look being a fly on the world uh, on the wall in, on in the wall yeah have you read have you read any books by Sam Thompson who we had on the podcast a few weeks well a few weeks back no, I didn't he, oh, he has two books um Wolfstone and the Fox's Tower and they're both they're very much if you like books about talking animals and yeah. you know a sort of a look into a, a, a different world that we are not privy to because we're human uh they're 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 and they're fantastically well written too plus his podcast episode is really nice so if you haven't oh, listened to it already listen back and have a <laughs> and have a have a have a listen to, to Sam talking he was great we had a great time talking to Sam about his books um but I suppose we have kind of answered the question that we normally begin the podcast with um halfway half into it uh, which is are you story shaped Sharon Gosling but I think we can safely establish that you probably <laughs> are story shaped <laughs> yeah um, I think if you were to think about the, the word story shaped or the question of are of being story shaped what, what, would, what would it mean to you like I mean do you think it's important do you think everybody is story shaped or do you think I uh, think so I think we are how, do you think, how would you respond to the question yeah I, th I think everyone is story shaped I think um 
our stories are how we construct um ourselves and our, our place in the world um it's just that made me think actually there's a really fascinating uh short story by graham joyce uh adult short story not, not children's short story and i can't remember what it's called but it's right here i'll look it up in a second but it's basically um the, the idea is that the whole of human imagination uh it turns out has been the result of one alien entity visiting earth and one day it just leaves and humanity spends the rest of its time trying to find something original uh which i think is a fascinating concept the whole idea that you know that's and and humanity as a whole is is slowly disintegrating because we don't have any new stories to tell um and i think i think that was probably joyce's way of examining that question of are we story shaped are we is everything we are is it a story I, and i think it is i think i think we that's how important the stories are i think i think the inability to tell tell one's own story uh causes a lot of problems and i think um for me as a kid being able to escape into stories was a huge part of my life i would just daydream away um <laughs> i remember being at school once and uh there was some quiz thing where <clears throat> or some question and answer thing where people other students were asked <clears throat> what uh like what defining feature do you know do you think about your each of your classmates and the person who was asked about me was like yeah she's just always daydreaming she's always somewhere else and I think I just it's not great for concentration obviously but I do have an ability to just take myself out of whatever situation I'm in and put myself in a story and I think I probably did that 95% of my childhood so it's not really <laughs> that I became became an author <clears throat> and it's certainly where I'm happiest you know it's happy it's absolutely you know I'm writing something new at the moment and just the you know shut my eyes and go somewhere else and I'm there I'm doing that I'm not here in the rain I'm somewhere else as much as I love my life I'm very lucky I have an escapist life and my you know being an author is, an, is a way of escaping even that escapist life um <laughs> no I'm just wondering because you're talking about this drive that you always had to imagine to daydream to storytell even if it was just for yourself was were there particular books or stories that propelled you into becoming a writer or books that you read and you were like oh, I have to have to do this or was it just always there in the daydreaming I think I think it was just always there I think I toyed with the idea of being other things like all kids do like an astronaut or a, or a fireman or or a perpetual traveler but I think I always wrote about them I always wrote about doing that and I think I just always this has just always been how my brain works um so I don't think I mean I never thought I never thought I would be able to do it because it always seemed like a completely impossible job to have when I was a kid uh, I think which which in some ways is replicates what my stories are maybe of wanting to go somewhere and be somewhere else that was my journey to publishing almost that was my journey to constructing my story as an author because I never thought I'd be able to do it. I never thought it was possible. Um, and so in some ways it was always just a hobby really, or not, not a hobby, but a, it was just what I did. 
it's really hard I'm sorry it's really hard to categorize it because I can't ever remember a time not doing this no not, I get what you it's mean it's just the way your brain works it's just the way the way you process the world yeah I, I get what you mean and perhaps and perhaps if I had grown up with a television maybe I would have ended up as a script writer I don't know maybe that maybe that would have been it's the stories that are important uh and being able to tell them and and you know being able to put them down on paper is is maybe writing novels is just the way I did it but I think whatever I would have ended up doing I would have always wanted to be telling stories in some form so I don't know what about you guys I mean no because I asked that I asked that question but I don't have an answer to that question myself because I think I'm quite similar to you that I was always daydreaming always making up stories I don't know Sinead do you have yeah, and I'm similar to you. I, I'm I'm kind of amazed by how often we ask this question or a similar question to, to authors, and we all have a similar story, which is I always wanted to do this, or I always felt it was something I was drawn to, but I never thought I could do it, or never thought there was a way forward for for me to do it. Um, so I'm totally in that camp as well. I mean, I I I never thought you could be. I didn't think ordinary people like me could <laughs> could be authors. You know, like yeah, who, you know, who wants to read stories of a of a some Egypt from uh, Wexford? You know, me. Um, I, had, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had to be, uh, you know, American or British or famous or, uh, you know, dead already to be an <laughs> author, you know, and uh, <laughs> because that's what they all seem to be to me, you know. Mm. Um, but I mean, I always whenever anyone asks me what, what books made you, what particular stories propelled me into being an author, I always point to you, obviously, to Elidor um, by Ellen Garner, who I'm sure you're sick of hearing me talk about Elidor now, so mm-hmm. I won't go into it in any detail. Um, and also The Little Prince by Antoine Sonic Zupri um, would be they're They're kind of my two um, my two most propulsive books if that makes any sense you know those are the two that when I think of um, the books I really really love that are in my soul those are the two that come up to come to mind and as I grew older I mean I, I encountered one that Susan and I both love too called um the hands of the bargain but I was 11 when I read that so I was I was a bit older um but that was another book that really it made me proud not only to be a, a person who loved stories but also a person who was Irish it gave me a real sense of oh my god not only can I tell stories but I can tell Irish stories because they are amazing um you know and that has really been an influence on on, on me and, and on my life uh, and on my career I suppose and on my and on my urge to write but I was like you guys too you know I always saw the world through the medium of the stories I could tell about it and the stories I could tell myself about it and I always and daydreaming is like my superpower I get it you know and I do the same thing <laughs> I can turn my head off and go off into whatever world I'm <laughs> currently you know currently imagining um but I'm not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about Sharon. Yeah. No, but isn't that isn't <laughs> yeah. that a perfect example? What you said there of why um, diversity in publishing is so important and why representation is so important. Absolutely. You know, um, yeah. Being able, any child being able to look at a book and go, "Oh, that's my," you know, if, if someone can tell that experience, and I can tell my experience. If I can, if they can tell their stories, and I can tell my stories, whatever they are, which is why it's so so fabulously important to, to have more diversity in publishing um absolutely, in all, absolutely. You know, in, all, in all in all the flavors of that word exactly yeah, yeah and as yeah. you said like if you can't if you can't tell your own story it leads to huge problems and I mean diversity mm-hmm. in in storytelling creates possibilities for people to be able to tell their own story they can see like that's my landscape that's my culture that's similar to my voice so I can also imagine myself taking on that voice or like telling my own story yeah yeah or you know not even even if it isn't a case of telling a story of um 
that specific background just mm-hmm. the idea that a person like me can, can yeah tell whatever story you know yeah the story myself I think it's just really it's just really important isn't it? and I think storytelling in general is incredibly important for children finding a voice that they is their voice um and just understanding that that reading is you know, storytelling is just as much a part of reading, really. Love for books in general, whether you're writing your own stories, whether you're reading stories, it's all part and parcel of it, I think. And it, it, yeah. should, be, it should feel more accessible. It should feel. And, it, and in some ways, I think the advent of internet, the internet um, is uh, really helpful in that regard because people have found different areas, you know, arenas in which to tell stories that they want to tell, um, which is great. Uh, like fan fiction fan fiction and stuff like that yeah fan yeah. fiction you know um, original fiction on Wattpad anything like that just the idea that it's accessible to everyone that it's not a you know it's not restricted to class or where you're born or what, anything like that I think is really important it's good it's yeah, good it's like, it's like it's that's why libraries are so important as well isn't it because of I remember recently somebody on Twitter asked me to, or asked, you know, put out a general call for people to say why libraries were so important to them. And I said, but basically because everybody who goes in the door gets given the same key to yeah. the universe. You know what I mean? That's, yeah, I mean, you get, you, you get handed the same as everybody else does. And it doesn't matter who you are, or where you're from, or, you know, what, what's in your bank account. You know, you're, we're all equal in the library. Um, and that's, that to me is what the, what the value of the library is. I think it's an incredible, an incredible achievement of, of human culture and they should be defended at all costs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and every yeah. single one of the people we've interviewed has talked about the importance of libraries and how yeah. significant yeah. that yeah. Um, access to books was for them. And yeah, them I got serious writer. library yeah. envy when, when you said you had three within walking distance yeah. when you were a kid. I was like, yeah. oh, my God, Crazy. that's amazing. Because I mean, I grew up within with one in walking distance of my house, but we where I live now, we don't have any library, um, and it's a real, a real issue <laughs> for me. There's one in in the town, like you know, it's about twenty miles away, so it's it's not exactly down the road. I mean, it's quite a quite a way. It's a bit of a day trip to get there and back, you know. But we go, we go as regularly as we can to 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 bring to bring the kid there. Um, but it's uh, it's yeah, I'd love to have a library just around corner or even in the town somewhere that I could just drop into, um, um. I mean, I'm lucky that I'm in a position that I've collected books my entire life. So, and my husband has as well. So, our house is like a library, which is great. So, um, our, so our our kid is surrounded by books all the time, and it's a real privilege. But I know there are children out there who don't have any books, or they don't, you know, they don't have the ability to have books in their house, and that really upsets me. It's it's uh, and I hope that kids have access to books somewhere, whether it's in school or, um, you know, in a local library or or wherever they can get them, because yeah, yeah, they're vital. It's so important that they're just common yeah. in a child's life rather than something special. Sure. Yeah. I really think, you know, like you say, it shouldn't it shouldn't be a it shouldn't have to be a big expedition to go to a library. It shouldn't, you know, that that's absolutely something that every child needs. I would give that to every child if I could. Just, uh, I think just remembering in Jeanette Winterson's um, memoir and she talks about her local library and going into her local library and she read alphabetically like she started with the a authors <laughs> and she read from Brilliant. a onwards um i love that, that idea is that why, why you, sorry is that, is that why be happy when you could be normal is that, the, is that it the might be that one yeah yeah i love I that, that one. yeah it's oh, brilliant it's yeah yeah it i remember being great. told off for trying to read books about jack the ripper from the adult <laughs> side of the library <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not read all the kids books i want to read the kids books we read about jack the ripper i don't know why 
Probably you remember that moment when you moved probably. from the children's section to the adult section? Because I guess for us, we didn't really have the we didn't have the category <clears throat> of YA. Yeah, I don't really. I I um in Tunbridge. So the the three libraries. There was one near my school, which is quite a small one. There's one down the road, two small ones, and then the main one in Thomas Towers, which used to be an amazing library. I haven't been there for years. But they physically had a separate children's library round the corner. Like oh, it was a right. separate part of the oh same thing. So it was like they had a whole library, like the size of this house, which was a children's library. Amazing. And then I think, you know, mid-90s, I think, you know, it shrunk and it got amalgamated with the with the adult library. So then, so the libraries that that where they were basically in the same space, um, I would just I wouldn't concentrate on the kids' books. I would just look at whatever interested me. Um, I don't remember my first. I mean, I used to I used to go in the adult library with my you know the Tommy Jones adult library with my mum and dad anyway. So I don't remember what my first trip to actually take out a book of my own. Presumably I had separate cars. Presumably I had an adult car, you know, at some point. I'm going to, although I moved out, I moved to London when I was 17. So it may well have been that I didn't, I didn't ever actually, I must have had one. Cause I took that book out about writing for a living from the adult library in Tunbridge Wells. So yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember there ever being a clear transition between the two, but I do remember trying, I do remember at school when I was still at primary school and being taken over to the junior section because I'd read through all the primary books and they were trying to find something that I think I might have had just a slightly higher level than some of the other which sounds terrible thing to say but I think they were trying to find something that would that would suit me that I wouldn't get bored with or that I hadn't read because I just no, it doesn't, it doesn't sound bad because I was the same. I, I read so much that, you know, the librarian sort of had to keep things aside for me because, you know, I had read so much else that something new came in. <laughs> she keep it so that I could have a look, you know, and yeah. it was, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's, uh, it must be maybe just a common thing with authors. But I think, yeah, I think that, yeah, if you, you consume that many books, it you know, it, it all swirls around in your head and it comes out with other stories or, you you know, t- together with the natural propensity for wanting to tell your own stories. I do remember mm. memorable, I remember all um, this was at secondary school actually uh parent teachers evening when my my parents were told that I read too much and that I really needed to find friends because I just read books I didn't do <laughs> it's, it's funny how often parents worry about that my mother used to worry about me too when I was a kid you know like you're you can open play instead of reading yeah. books and I'm like no my friends are all on paper yeah, I don't exactly. want to play with real people <laughs> <laughs> but then that prepares us for a life of sitting on our own in on rooms making stories absolutely my my happy place is sitting by myself in my in my imagination which is great <laughs> are there any books that are shaping you right now That's what's on your tbr oh god so many so many books I know. or anything you've read really recently gone blank, I can't. <laughs> talking about a, i have a slight i have a slight excuse that my husband has a has a secondhand bookshop so we have a lot of books but you were talking about um having a lot of books in your house and like the other <laughs> The other day I was procrastinating over something. I was waiting for something to arrive and I didn't want to start writing and then get interrupted. So I idly thought, oh, I'll just count how many books I've got in our front room. Uh, and uh, I think it was it was something, it's 1,454 books and that's just our front room. Um, and, and we, I haven't read all of them. <laughs> so what I have got actually, um, my husband has just presented with my 
my early Christmas present, which is uh, very nearly a complete set of Terry Pratchett, which is great. Oh my gosh. I've read a lot of them, but I haven't read all of them. So they're above my head. So that's definitely a TBR pile right there. Love those books. Um, I read all the earlier ones, but the later ones I'm kind of behind on. Um, don't let them fall on your head though that would be a really funny uh bookish way to <laughs> die but we don't want that to happen <laughs> i've just read i've just read babel by um, oh R. i'm going oh, I really to, read want that. to read that that's yeah. on my christmas book list i want to get that for christmas i yeah, read her I've heard book, nothing um, but good things about it i read the, the first book of her trilogy which oh it's fantastic it's amazing but i haven't read the second two books um but i am dying to read babel Babel's really, really fascinating. I'm reading um, Pre-Loved by um, Laura, um, Lauren Bravo. It's a debut, uh, her debut fiction. It comes out uh, on, um, oh, same day as my next adult book, actually, in April next year. Uh, so I've got a proof of that to read, uh, and I'm halfway through, and it's brilliant. So it's about, it, it's great. It's, it's uh, about a woman who uh, gets fired from a job, and she's kind of 38 and not really sure what to do, and takes a few months off. And it's kind of lost contact with her friends and stuff and uh, starts volunteering in a charity shop. So it's her story, but it's interspersed by stories of some of the things that have turned oh, up in the charity shop and how they arrived there. It's fantastic. Love it. Absolutely. Love that Very concept. Funny. Really funny and um, really moving and beautifully written. And yeah, so I, I really uh, recommend that when that comes out. Uh, so that's pre loved by uh, Lauren Bravo. Um, and uh, yeah, that's my that's my current current read, but my TBR fluctuates so much because I just pile them up and they go. And I'm I'm reading my <laughs> way through um some really fascinating I love short stories. Uh, some fascinating um the British Library are doing these fascinating collections of of weird short stories. And they're up to about 13 or 14 now, and they're beautifully produced. Um and they've got a tattoo, one about tattoos, which I'm fascinated by tattoos. Oh wow! Yeah, that sounds amazing. So uh, I bought that last when we were in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago um, from Transreal Books, which is a fantastic bookshop. Um, so that's I'm dipping in and out of that. Do you have any? Do you have any anthologies or short stories that you could recommend that are your oh. favourites? Because I love I haven't I love them, but I'm so I have I've read so few that I, I really don't. Uh, I'd love to know where to start or where to where would be a good place to dip in. Okay, well, um, what sort of what sort of genre? Have you got a particular? Oh gosh, uh, I suppose science fiction-y, fantasy type ones. Maybe not fantasy as much as such, but speculative fiction. Maybe I guess. Yeah, I don't um, know. Annie, Annie Graham, Graham Joyce. Graham Joyce would be good actually. Yeah. Um, twenty-five years in the word mines is great, it's, and it's a really he wrote a lot of speculative fiction. Um, yeah, I mean he's he was fantastic in general, but that's a that's a really interesting collection because it, it it's quite widely. Uh, quite a wide range of stories um anything by shirley jackson obviously i love shirley jackson yes of course she's in dark tales yeah um and uh you read any kelly link i don't think so oh she's great she's an american writer who writes kind of fantasy speculative fiction short stories for adults they're so good oh okay this is great it's more like it's more like a book club than a podcast it's great And also I'm reading I'm reading a really brilliant um book called Hag Forgotten. Oh yeah, is that, um, do you know that one? It's uh, this is by Carolyn Larrington. I've heard of it, I've not read it. And it's is it good? It's really good. It's um like literary rewrites of old folk tales. Excellent. All by women. Oh, I love it. It's really good. Thinking of that, folk 
um, a book called Folk, F-O-L-K. By read that, it's brilliant, yeah. Gilbert, sorry, Gilbert. I can't, I can't think who was the author, though. Zoe Gilbert. Yeah. Zoe Gilbert, you're right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Folk. That, yeah, that was fantastic. great. I loved that. Yeah, really I good. That. I don't have a copy here because I've lent it to my friend. Oh, talking about, have you ever read Parnassus on Wheels? No, no. Christopher, oh. Christopher Morley, Parnassus on Wheels. In America, yeah, it's it? a, um, set in the American South, 18 something. Uh, and it's about a woman who buys a traveling bookshop Ooh. called Parnassus on Wheels. I love her. Perfect. It's perfect for all of us, actually. And it's a little novella. <laughs> I love her. I love, her. I love your immediate response. I love her. <laughs> I do. I, I, I give her my whole heart, absolutely. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. It's a, yeah. That was a, a dream I had when I was younger. Yeah. I had this daydream of running away to Kerry for some reason. And, and opening, <laughs> yeah, why not? Putting a mobile bookshop. Well, why not? I mean, it'd be like... You know, I had absolutely no prospect of doing such a thing, but it was a nice daydream. If you're going <laughs> to run her. anywhere that isn't Cork, then it should be Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, so sorry. Actually, thinking about it, that was um, the Jane Aitken and, and Jam. I can't say his name. Pina, 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 yeah, Jankowski. Jankowski. Yeah, Jan. I guess it is. I remember a story. Um, was that a necklace of, of raindrops? That that was that one of yeah, the collections. That was, yeah fantastic one and there's one about a, a girl who lives in a bus a double-decker bus with her grandma is that is that in that collection i've got, I've got kingdom on the sea i've got kingdom on the sea, but i don't think it's in here is that by joe naked because i've just read a book of joe naked's short stories for adults and they are amazing oh really she wrote yeah. short stories for adults that's news to me <laughs> oh yeah that sounds brilliant i'm only familiar with her, her children's books but I, I do i love them this one's called the, the Faithless Lolly and it's just there's a really amazing story. I mean, I think they're for adults. Um, there's a my favorite story in this is Moonshine in the Mustard Pot about a little girl and her granny, and oh maybe that's what I'm thinking. Of. But they do they live in a bus? They don't live in a bus. Oh. Um, but she goes to stay with her grandmother who lives in a really tiny little house. There, I think we need to write a, a whole collection. Sorry. I think Sharon needs to write a whole collection yeah. of stories about children who live in weird places. Yes, that sounds yes, to me like an that's absolute... perfect. Well, the um, <laughs> book that I've just written, the next adult book, um, but that that must be a direct, direct correlation from reading a story about a little girl who lived in a bus. Listeners, um, if you know what that story is, <laughs> please write to us. <laughs> I think us. it might be in the Necklaces Round Yachts, but I don't have a copy of that here. I've only got Kingdom Under the Sea. Joe Nakin um, is just beyond wonderful. wonderful. Just a genius. Wonderful. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And the illustrations were so fantastic for that. Just so completely different from anything else I'd seen in children's book. I picked this Joe Nakin one up and it was it was in a coffee shop that also has books and I saw it and I was looking at it and I went up to the counter and said, um, how much are the books? And they were like, just take it. <laughs> okay, fantastic. are you sure? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. That is amazing. I'm going to look that up. Gonna... It's really, really wonderful. Yeah, no, she was wonderful. Should we um, uh, start asking our wrap-up questions? I don't want to. I want to talk to you forever, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> just like, just keep recommending books to each other. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just become an hour of recommending books. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, that's a podcast I would listen to. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> 
but we, nor- we normally at the end or coming to the end of the episode we normally ask um, our guest uh, what they have coming up next if they're able to tell us about it or, and if not to give us a hint so can you tell us about anything you're working on or anything coming uh, so my next startup book is out in April and that is called The Forgotten Garden uh, and it's a, a story about a, a woman who's had tragedy in her past and she um, just has an opportunity to start up this charity that she tried to start up with her late husband um which is building community gardens so it's about my, my adult stories tend to be about community and you know characters coming together in odd ways or and it's um hopefully a nice story of gardening and how plants can change the world which uh, oh i'm pre-ordering that straight away <laughs> <laughs> and then i've just um i'm literally in the middle i hit about the halfway point of a kid's book that two weeks ago I hadn't intended to write at all uh but I'm just gonna write a first draft of it and we'll see what happens and it's uh tying into my massive love of science fiction um of the knock down drag out laser blasting spaceship faring uh kids in the universe uh type of thing <laughs> so I don't know if anything will come of that but it's fun to write and yeah it's nice to I want to end the end the year writing something that I would have daydreamed when I was a kid so that's what I'm doing oh, that's me that's gone straight off my heart that has isn't that what we all that's what we all aim to do to write the things we would have daydreamed about when we were yeah. kids yeah gosh I can't well I'm I for one as a massive fan of your children's books hope that that does <laughs> arrive on a bookshelf eventually uh, because I'd love to read it um I think you're immensely gifted I mean we didn't talk about Katie Willicott really yet but I mean I we did a whole little we did a little um <laughs> a sort of, a filler of episode on the, on the podcast here <laughs> about, uh, about books that we were loving at the time and I had just finished reading Katie Willicott and I just had to talk about it because it was just incredible and Susan has read it since haven't you yeah I have and it's just yeah. like I think I tweeted about this but it's like because I um as an academic read lots of 19th century um children's books and 19th century adventure stories and they're obviously frustrating because they're dated and a lot of boy protagonists you know so when I read Katie Willicott it felt like exactly what I wanted something like Treasure Island to be like yeah it had that brilliant girl protagonist going in a like and that quote that's in the book extraordinary girls doing extraordinary women doing extraordinary doing things. extraordinary things um yeah. I'm really glad it's very kind of you to say so I'm very glad that you both enjoyed it that the it was... massive irony with that book is that actually what you were saying earlier about you having something that you daydream about when you're going to sleep that's where Katie Willicott came from because I spend a lot of time thinking about being shipwrecked on desert islands and uh, how I would survive and <laughs> that's what I wanted that's what I was intending is that, is that for fun is that is that fun for you is that an, yeah, a, a leisure activity yeah. building shelters doing exactly what I wanted to do when I was going yeah, building shelters cool. Working at how to survive. You and my sister need to meet. (laughs) I think so. I think there's an instant friendship there waiting to happen. (laughs) And she, when she was, when she was a child, she wanted her ambition in life. Now she's a solicitor, but she wanted to be. She wanted to cook spaghetti for astronauts. I love the specificity. Specificity. I know. I love it. Brilliant. Do they eat a lot of spaghetti? I don't know. I feel like it would probably be a bit difficult in space, but anyway. (laughs) Very funny. I think that would be great. (laughs) She's probably like, she's probably, she's got got a children's storyteller soul, I think. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's amazing. You should get her on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 
but that's, but, that she'd is, probably but say it was like she like her hers imagination shaped by we shared a room but I told her stories to get us to sleep so Brilliant. she listened to my stories mostly <laughs> <laughs> that's great lucky her <laughs> lucky her indeed but basically that's what I wanted Katie Wilcox to be I wanted to be a, a shipwreck girl washed up on an island and uh, the first draft of that book was 170,000 words long and I hadn't managed to get it to the island <laughs> so it was like I think, I think you might have to cut that off <laughs> love that so no, I still and, and that was Katie telling you no Sharon this is not what I want yeah. to do I want to do something yeah exactly this is not yeah. what this story is yeah oh my god well and it turned out so it turned out so brilliantly so I'm glad yeah. you listened to Katie Willicott yeah. and brought her on the adventure she deserved because it's truly it's truly not at all it's not not me being kind it's me showing the respect that an incredible author like you is, is due because it's really truly if you haven't read Katie with the extraordinary voyage of Katie Willicott yet dear listener please go and get one get a copy and read it instantly because it is <laughs> it is a beautiful book yeah, you do it so effort effortlessly as well. Um, it's just a story that like I couldn't put it down. I could not stop reading it. <laughs> oh, I'm really glad. And I was like looking forward yeah. every night. I was like, I'm going to spend time with Katie Willacoss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like you said, it's it's a story. It's an adventure story, but there's so much more to it than that. It has so many. It has so many different layers. Um, and so it just says so much. Uh, it's just it's exactly the kind of book that I wish I had had the chance to read when I was. 10 yeah you know it would, it would have been a life-changing story shaping book for me if I'd read it when I was a kid and it still is now because so, I'm still a yeah. kid at heart but uh but I, I'm just I'm envious of actual children who get to read it at the right time in their life <laughs> you know yeah so, I, hope, uh, I, hope the, I hope the kids like it as well great nice Christmas enough. present <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely my niece has already had one so can't give it to it again so excellent well, <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a little friend who is going to be turning ten in January, so she's gonna she's gonna get one too. It's fascinating the whole idea of um, books that shaped us. It's a yeah. really really interesting thing to delve into. I think. Um, Thank you so much. I know, and I mean, like, usually we only have time to talk about the the children's books that have shaped us, but of course, like books go on shaping us throughout our lives and continuously. As and as we were both saying, like Katie Willacoss has shaped both of us recently. <laughs> yeah. Even though, uh, even though we're old and crusty now. <laughs> I have to say that um, reading The Time Tider, because I was lucky enough to get a pre for The Time Tider, which is wonderful. Thank you. That absolutely, um, I have you to thank for, for spurring me on to write what I'm writing at the moment. Not that there's any similarity in, in the story, but again, it's that the types of story that you can tell. And I think yeah. it's, it's really... That's why that's why stories for children are so important because it just opens the mind, doesn't it? It's like, well, you can do this and you can do that, and you know, you don't have to fit into a mold. And I think the minute that you start thinking as an author, or indeed as a child, that you have to think you have to fit into a mold that is being presented to you, then it's game over, really, isn't it? There's no spontaneity. It is like that alien that's left, and there's you know, mm. you're searching the originality. So. That's why it's so important to read so many different books. And, you know, people ask me what kind of genres I read. I'm like, don't read genres. I read everything because everything has something to teach you as a person <laughs> and as an author. Uh, and it's the same for kids. It's, you know, just put everything in front of them and they've got such inquisitive minds. They'll, you know, they'll find what they enjoy and they'll, they'll absorb everything. 
and it'll they'll be better for it you know the perfect i think that's a perfect place to end that's the perfect place to end i was just thinking that is poetic and couldn't get a better ending than that well sharon it's, it's been amazing and as susan said we could talk to you for the rest of our lives potentially uh it's been so interesting <laughs> <I bet> you <laughs> will. Uh, yeah, hopefully <laughs> um but just thank you so much for for thank being you. so generous with your time and with your your expertise and your knowledge and and it's been great um uh, we've loved learning about the stories that shaped you and uh all through your life not just in your childhood um and we have i have so many i have pages of notes here to to put up in the in the in the show notes it's great i look and i have an episode where we have so many books that we have to spend four or five pages writing them up it's brilliant <laughs> um, because uh, it's it's just it gives people hopefully it gives listeners like such a place such a such a, a richness such a such a like a treasure chest of of jewels you know to dive into and sort of that sounded really good i'm going to start there and and continue reading from that point on it's it's a, it's a really it's a real privilege um but thank you so much thank for being you. here to share all your stories with us um and if listeners, you have enjoyed listening to this episode, I hope you have. Um, please how could you not give us? How could you not exactly? <laughs> please give us a, a rating or a review um, on your podcast streamer of choice, uh, wherever you're listening to the podcast at the moment. Um, and do, um, if you can, recommend us to your your nearest and dearest, um, and anybody who you think might lis- might enjoy listening to us talking about books and stories and their power to shape and direct uh, lives, because uh, we're here every week. And it's been great. It's for the rest of time. <laughs> for the rest of time. We have so many books to talk about. So many people to talk about. We're going to be here forever. Um, so so please, please do hop on board and join us in our in our efforts to bring the story shaped message to, to the world. Um, but until next week, we should say adieu. But thank you so much, uh, Sharon, for being here today. Um, it's thank been you, an absolute joy. <laughs> but uh, from me, Schneider Hart, it is farewell until next week. Goodbye from and me. And from me. So, So until then, adios, Story Shapers, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at Story Shaped Pod. And don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Music by Tony Betts.